Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. This is episode 124. Thank you very much for tuning in. If this is your first episode, welcome along. I hope you enjoy it. And if you're one of my regular listeners, then thank you very much for continuing to download and listen to the podcast. I do appreciate your feedback, your questions. And for those of you who get in touch with me, if you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do. I will accept your request. And if you want to drop me a note to say that you listen to the podcast, then that's fantastic. Um, if you have any questions you want to run past me or you would like any advice or assistance on a particular matter, you can also email me. My email address is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. So for those of you who listen regularly, you will know that I deal with a best practice tip or case or just a general topic about employment law and HR every fortnight. And this week I am dealing with something that has come up in the news and which is of interest to me, certainly, and hopefully will be of interest to you. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So as I say, I was inspired to record this episode by a story which was run on various newspapers and online about a legal firm in Plymouth. It's a firm who do wills and probate, I believe, or private client type work. And they provide legal services, although I understand they're not um, registered solicitors. But in any event, the reason why they're in the news is because they have taken the decision to put all of their staff on a four day working week and have in fact increased their pay. So they haven't reduced their pay because they've reduced their hours. They have in fact increased the pay. And it was according to the news reports, part of an experiment to see how it would impact on the staff and the business. And it's gone so well, the company have decided to continue with it. And the story has been picked up by a number of news organisations. And when I was doing some research, I found that there are several stories over the years of companies around the world implementing different working hours and flexible working and the benefits that have come with that. So I thought I'd focus on that topic. And it got me to thinking about the general right to request flexible working that's available in law. And I looked back through the back catalogue and found that actually my very first episode of the podcast back in August 2014 was actually about the right to request flexible working because at that time it had been in June 2014 that the right to request flexible working had been extended to all employees who had more than 26 weeks employment um, rather than it just being for parents as, as it was before. So if you want to go back and listen to episode one of the podcast, it's easy to find. You'll find it on the website or online on iTunes and Spotify is actually where I managed to find it and listen to it again quite easily. 
I think it's quite difficult to search through the iTunes back catalogue, but certainly on the website, if you go to adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 001, you can listen back to that episode. But just by way of a recap, the law states that an employee who has been employed for 26 weeks or more continuously can make an application to work flexibly and there is a way in which you are required as the employer to handle that flexible working request and there are certain limited ways in which you can refuse that request if you don't want the employee to for example reduce their hours or work from home or change the way in which they work. So that's an individual request for changes to be made to their working conditions. Now, what I'm talking about in this week's podcast is considering wholesale changes to the way in which you work, either for all staff or for certain departments or offering it out there to staff to do. Now, I know that it may seem a bit radical and there will certainly be people who will be listening who would say there is no way that will work in our business that we can't sustain it we wouldn't work the clients wouldn't be happy and I know I've been thinking about it from my own business perspective and I've been having all of those sort of limiting thoughts about it and trying to get my head around how it would work outside of the norm but it is outside of the norm and that's why Uh, particularly this firm that I referred to, I think they're called Portcullis Legals in Plymouth. And that's why they've been in the news because it is different and it is a bit out there. So I did mention before when I was researching that I found a couple of other examples. And um, in 2018, there was a firm that was in New Zealand called Perpetual Guardian who moved to a four-day week. So all their staff work eight-hour days over four days. And then a Swedish firm which reduced their working hours to six hours a day. So still working over five days, but for shorter hours. And in all three examples, they have reported that staff are healthier, happier and more productive. And in both the New Zealand case, Perpetual Guardian and the Portcullis Legals, they have trialled it to see how it worked. And clearly they've found that there are a number of benefits that obviously outweigh any of the potential business disadvantages. And the other reason why I wanted to talk about this is because I have had a number of conversations, and I'm sure I've mentioned this on the podcast in the past, with businesses, um, particularly here on the Isle of Wight where I'm based, but also further afield in specialist areas, who are really struggling to recruit good quality and qualified staff. So one of our clients is a firm of alarm and electrical engineers based in Kent and they find it really difficult to recruit for um, qualified engineers and the reason being is because there's just a general shortage in their area of those engineers with those skills and there are a number of firms who are all looking to recruit. So a really small pool of talent that's looking to be snapped up by a number of uh, firms, competitive firms. And they reported to me that they interviewed a qualified person who had three other interviews at that time and had been offered three other jobs. And so the employee in that situation had the pick of the employers. And so 
clearly they're going to look at who is going to be the best employer for me, who's going to offer the best incentives and not everybody is enticed by money and certainly as a business and I've said this before I'm sure you cannot compete with regards to salaries when it comes to your competitors because you'll just end up pricing yourself out and therefore it's much better in my view to make yourself the employer of choice for a number of reasons not just about money. And one of the ways you can do that is by offering flexible working and being a open-minded employer considering all of the other factors. So not only has it been proven by other businesses to have an impact on staff but it can also impact on your reputation with potential candidates and make you more attractive. So what are the different types of flexible working? What are we talking about here? And now obviously you can go with anything, you know, anything goes in terms of flexible working. But um, the general things that have been done and that can be looked at or some ideas for you are about adjusting hours. So adjusting hours from early starts, early finishes, changing the length of the days, for example. You could look at reducing hours for individuals, depending on their role. You could look at home working. So enabling staff to work from home, so remotely, so they don't have to come into the office. Or you could look at things like reducing working hours across the board, as those firms have in the examples I've given. You could introduce a flexi time regime. So instead of having your set hours of nine to five, you could uh, flex it up so that you have sort of the hours in which parameters in which employees can work but you have maybe have core hours. Certainly when I worked in the civil service after I finished my degree, they had a flexi time regime. So you could come in any time between sort of seven and seven, but you had to be in the core hours. I think it was between sort of 10 and three at that time. So as long as you were in between 10 and three, the rest of the time you could work around your life really and work extra hours and make up time and accrue hours and that sort of thing. And it worked quite well. You could consider offering compressed hours, so keeping the same number of hours in the working week, but potentially reducing the number of days for staff. Um, That could be good if you want to offer a service, for example, in my industry where we provide services to businesses and individuals. Generally, most of our clients are wanting to speak to us Monday to Friday between nine and five, and that's when our other solicitors firms are open, for example. But If you found, as I do sometimes, that there are clients who want to speak in the evenings or early mornings because it's more convenient, then you could potentially compress the hours of staff. So you're still having cover five days a week, but with early starts and late finishes so that you're extending the offer to your clients and customers as well. You could look at something like annualized contracts so that they have a set number of hours that they have to work over the course of a year and then it It's up to them to manage their time in in that time. Again, that's quite a radical idea and you're putting a lot of responsibility into the hands of your staff. But if it works for your business or it could work for your business, then it's something to consider. And the final one I came up with was actually just removing hours altogether and instead focusing on results. Now, Again, it may seem quite radical, but there may be organisations or businesses that it works for and employees that it works really well with. So if yours is one where you have and you're able to measure results and that's what's important to you, then 
as long as the employees are doing the job, do you really need to have set hours? Do you really need to have a minimum number of hours that they're working? Could you encourage more productivity, more efficient working by removing hours and just focusing on the results? It's just a potential idea for you. So you might be saying, well, that's all very well and good, Alison. That's great ideas. But really, what are the benefits of flexible working? Well, in the course of my research, I found there have been a number of studies on the benefits of flexible working and the ways in which that can impact on employees and in turn on your business. So to list some of the benefits that have been proven, it can increase productivity It can assist you with recruitment, as I was saying earlier. It improves morale amongst staff. It allows employees to have a degree of control and to feel that they're in control of their destiny. It can give better job satisfaction. It can improve employee satisfaction with life generally. It's been shown that those employees who can work flexibly and have control are less likely to take sickness absence and less likely to be unwell. And one of the reasons is because it They have more time to focus on their well-being and to look after themselves. It assists in the retention of employees. So it enables you not only to recruit the best employees, but to keep the best employees as well. It can reduce stress. It can considerably reduce stress amongst staff. And if you think about it at just the very basic level, if you introduce something like a flexi time uh, system within your organisation, And that enabled staff not to have a set, like I've got to be in at nine, I've got to um, wait and leave at five, for example. And I can just say from my own experience that getting two children ready in the morning and taking one to school and one to nursery with various things that can go wrong in the morning um, with children and also with traffic and with schools, all of that sort of thing. I'm fortunate in that I run my own business. And I don't schedule client meetings so that I could potentially be late from dropping the children off at school. So I'm able to do that flexibility. So I schedule my meetings slightly later to give me that window of time in case anything comes up. But I know that if I worked for somebody else and I had to be in the office by nine o'clock, I would be incredibly stressed most mornings about getting to work on time. And then that in turn doesn't start off the day very well and Obviously, we all know what stress does to the body. So just on a simple level, if you had something like flexi time that enabled staff to, you know, work around life and the things that life throws at you, then that would in turn reduce stress, help with well-being and also in turn make them more happier and more productive. So that's one way in which it can help. Um, Having a flexible working arrangement can also enable you to schedule work around peak times and also around the peak times for the energy levels for staff so therefore maximizing productivity Um, as I was saying it could remove the issue of lateness so if you have staff who are late because they're struggling to get into work because of traffic or problems um, with leaving the house then that can help and it can also help with your green impact it can reduce your carbon footprint so If you enable staff to work from home, for example, for one day a week or even more, then they're cutting down on the travel into work and thereby reducing the carbon footprint. It also means that if, for example, like with the other firms I was talking about, if you're having a 
four day week and you're closing the office for one day a week, then you're using less energy and um, less, again, less impact on the environment. And finally, it can help to increase diversity amongst your workforce. And you're opening the door by having a flexible working to maybe some staff or employees who would not have applied for a job with you before because of restrictions about working time and that sort of thing. And we all know that having a diverse workforce brings with it a mix of skills, experiences, and those firms and businesses who have a diverse workforce are more successful and um, more likely to succeed. So you again, it may have the added benefit of enticing people to work for you who might not have considered you before. So as I say, a number of benefits that have been shown for those businesses who are already embracing flexible working. Now, there are some disadvantages or potential disadvantages that could arise, um, but I think these could be easily mitigated. And there's the obvious one which comes up when I speak to people is that they're worried that employees may take advantage of that flexibility and may not be as productive as they would have been before or more productive. Now, of course, regardless of whether you have flexible working or not, you're always going to have the odd employee who takes advantage, who isn't as productive as they should be, and who you could perhaps get more out of or deal with accordingly. And I think that if you have employees who are taking advantage and not doing what they're required to, because they're working from home, for example, or because you've got uh, more flexible arrangements around working hours, then you need to address that with them as a performance issue, just as you would if they're working nine to five and spending two hours in the afternoon doing nothing or looking at the internet, for example. So yes, it could be a potential disadvantage, but I think it's something that could be easily overcome. Other things that can happen is if you don't manage it appropriately, is you could have reduced communication with staff members who are perhaps working from home or working at different hours. It can reduce team morale and team working if people are working different schedules and they're not together as often. But again, both of those things, I think you would need to plan for and ensure that you address them and have a plan in place to address those. And on the other side of things, it can lead to additional work taking place outside of the normal hours of work. So I know that if you work from home and you are so inclined, you can get drawn into emails and doing work far more than you would if you just worked from the office. So for some employees, those workaholics, you could find that actually it can have a negative impact on their stress levels because they're actually working more. But again, you can try and manage that and mitigate that appropriately. And of course, if you are allowing staff to work remotely from home, then you may have additional costs for equipment of computers and phones, etc. But hopefully the added productivity and reduced recruitment costs and uh, the added benefits of retention will reduce and mitigate those additional costs. So as you can probably tell from the content of this podcast and what I've said, I'm I'm a big advocate for looking at things differently, finding ways of working that are beneficial to employees and that can help with work-life balance. Because I do believe genuinely 
that having happier, healthier employees is going to be better for your business. And in the long run, you are going to get more productivity from staff who feel that they're valued and that their circumstances and their priorities are being taken into consideration by you as well. And you can do that easily, in my view, by considering flexible working across the board and applying it to all staff where possible. So if you would like any help in implementing flexible working in your organisation or you want to talk through any ideas or if you're trying something new in your business that you would like to share, I'd love to hear about it because anything that's innovative, um, that, that can be used to make life easier for everyone, then I would always love to hear about it. So please do get in touch. It's alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. I can always share the details with your name and the organisation, or you can remain anonymous if you want to, or if you just want to get in touch to let me know and you don't want me to share on the podcast, and I'm happy to do so. Finally, before I sign off, I just want to remind you that a couple of episodes ago, I talked about the use of group messaging services such as WhatsApp by staff. And we have produced a policy that we're recommending to our clients to implement in their handbooks and to share with staff. And this covers the issues about reputation and potential legal risks of the usage of WhatsApp groups and group messaging among employees. Now, you can find a copy of this if you want to purchase your own copy for your organisation. It's easy to find and download. It's on the adviceforemployers.co.uk site in the document shop. And it is in the DIY document shop group messaging and group chat policy where you can download for £36 and you can just add your details and start using it straight away. So do go and have a look at that and if you have any questions or you'd like to discuss anything from this podcast or any of the previous podcasts I'd love to hear from you. It's alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. Thanks very much for listening and I hope you have a fantastic week. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.